Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching Walk the Line. That's right, we're watching Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash biopic. It's 15 years old, and we figured, let's go and have a little look at what's happening with Walk the Line. Does it hold up? Does it not? This program endeavours to find out. Joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Simon Haynes! Hello, Stephen. How are you doing, Simon? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I hear some of those congratulations coming your way. Oh, yes, for the for the wedding ding ding. Yes, yeah. thank you very much. Congratulations. Yes, uh, Walk the Line. Walk the Line. Um, yeah. what, what do you know about it? Uh... I know it's about a boy named Sue. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only Johnny Cash reference I know. <laughs> uh, apart from he also starred in a Will Smith movie called Men in Black. Men in Black. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I was far too slow on the uptake. <laughs> it's, no, a movie. Uh, it's not even a good joke. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm the joke. first to admit. <laughs> so, so, you know, a couple of things about Johnny himself. Okay. Yeah. Um, funny enough, I actually really do enjoy biopics and I'm a... I, a few years ago, I became this huge fanatic about autobiographies. So I would just like get as many autobiographies, read and devour them. I love biopics. And yet, this is one that just kept eluding me. I'm not like a country and western guy, or like I'm not big on these, these kinds of genres. So I wasn't a Johnny Cash fan. I had no desire to see it. But I will for this podcast. And now you've been forced to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now life has turned against you. But um, excellent. Um, and so, as you say, country music, not really your thing. Yeah. Um, is there, I suppose, a musician whose biopic would make you run to the cinema if it was like, this is screening today? Will Dow Yankovic? Okay. Yeah, li- I've just been listening to a car. Um, actually, one of the biopics I do enjoy, and unfortunately now it's become very problematic, is there was a biopic about uh, Bobby Darren. Mm-hmm. Which Beyond is great. Uh, it's called Under the Sea. Unfortunately, it's written, directed, starring, produced uh, mm. by Kevin Spacey. Mm. The music's phenomenal. The movie's really good. But it's kind of made by a monster. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, Wacken Phoenix, less problematic. Let's, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> let's, let's let time figure that one out. But joining <laughs> us as our guest who has seen the film, it's Tegan Mulvaney, everybody. Hello, everybody. I'm Tegan Mulvaney. <laughs> oh, my God. And you're in all this black leather, and you've got a guitar, and you're and doing a lot of drugs. It's <laughs> a very silent guitar. You've got Bling. the mute on. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. How was that? That was great. It was Seamless. Seamless. Um, Just like this leather jacket. Indeed. Hey. You have seen Walk the Line. Yes, I have. Uh, what can we expect from it? Uh, it's very biopicky, so you should like it. Okay. Do you know what I you know what yeah. I mean when when you say when I say that? Yeah. Um, it's not going to be a hundred percent true. They always fudge the line. Yeah. Well, no pun intended. They always fudge it to make a more cohesive story. But yeah. Yeah, that's right. But it's fun. Um, I love this film as far as biopics go. I think because there was so much input from. It's probably going to come up in the trivia stuff, but eh, stuff it. I'll ruin it for everyone. Because um, it was because um, Johnny and June had so much input in the start of this. So mm. they they basically cast who they wanted in their own roles, which mm. is pretty cool. Because um, Johnny Cash died. He did die before did this came out, didn't he? Just before, yeah, I think. He, yeah. Both he and, I believe, June died yeah. while this film was in production. Yeah, okay. which is, again, just kind of a... It's a beautiful love story, actually, just between the, the two of them. it's There is enough in there to be dramatic anyway in mm. how they were and how they lived their lives and mm. how they ended up together um so i think it's only fitting that then they get to pick who they want to play themselves as well it's just really cool mm. i saw this at the cinemas when i was obsessed with johnny cash um but only one album of johnny cash's which was his last album i believe um 
which is Man Comes Around, which is just an album of covers. But it made me go back and listen to his back catalogue and mm-hmm. fall in love with him again. Mm. Um, and fun. if there was a musical biopic of someone that hasn't been released yet that would make you run to the cinema, what would it be? Oh. Uh, oh. Uh, Oh, meatloaf. <laughs> we were just talking about this. Meatloaf. I was like, my brain was running through, would it be Paul McCartney? But that'd be pretty boring, I mm. think. Mm. There's um, certainly been like Beatles biopics. So there was like, yeah, they have beats and all sorts. I just think his would be dull because he, yeah. he's, he's just a normal guy. Um, <laughs> from Liverpool? Yeah, he's like, Liverpool. oh, one of my friends got shot. Oh, one of my friends oh, died of cancer. Oh. What a song. Although you could do the bit about him dying in the 60s and being replaced. See, that him. would be cool. <laughs> like, taking huge artistic license and going all Bubba Hotep on, yeah. oh, on Paul McCartney. Yes. <laughs> oh, I got a Paul McCartney, so Bubba Hotep. There you go. That's the best biopic, This is Bubba writing Hotep. itself. That would yeah. be great. Um, that's what you've got to put on the podcast, Bubba Hotep. Mm. Yes. yes. No one's seen Bubba Hotep, but they should. It's Mm. All yeah, right, let's what? not watch this. Let's watch Bubba Hotel. Yes. Let's watch. Well, uh, Elvis features in this, so oh. that could link through to it. Excellent. Because they're all, all right. mates. They were certainly were, but uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have Bubba Hotel on on this. Bubba Hotel. Bubba. Ho- Sorry to everyone who loves this film. <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, we've said Walk the Line, so that's what we're going to do. So, would you guys like to watch Walk the Line? Yes. Indeed. Okay. Yeah, I would. Be great. I'd like to walk this line. For those of you listening at home, uh, pop on those DVDs and prepare to go down, down, down in a burning <laughs> ring of fire as we watch Walk the Line. I'm too drunk to walk this line. <laughs> Hello. I'm Stephen Platt. And welcome back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. We've just finished watching Walk the Line, the biopic of Johnny Cash's life. And I'm joined once again by Tegan Mulvaney. Howdy, y'all. And Simon Haynes. I don't know Western things. Well, so <laughs> that's okay, because this was your first time watching Walk the Line, Simon. Uh, what did you think? I, I, I did enjoy it. Um, not, not a movie that knocked my socks off, I'll, I'll admit. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, part of, here's the thing. Part of me, when I think of biopics, part of me is always going, so I'm, I'm betting the events happened, mm. probably not in the order they're depicting, or there's like one of those things where it's like 70% true, 30% bullshit. Mm. There feels, but the one thing that does come to mind is, oh dear God, how much is this movie just like pushing in your face this romance like you become so invested mm. in these two characters and it's just like oh, just like just, 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 just did it just get there did you what did you want them to get together just so maybe something else would happen <laughs> or were you genuinely invested in John I was invested in the, in the fact that it's like I'm glad I'm glad the pace I mean again god knows how how it actually happened in real life without actually investigating it myself uh, but part of me is just there going no, there's the, the peaks and troughs feel a little bit too streamlined. Mm. Like there's got to be there's got to be a bit more in there. Yeah. Um, but for a narrative, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, this does work to the classic, you know, high point, low points, drama curve. So that's why I'm there going. There's got to be some bullshit in this. Mm. But that's true of practically every biopic or any real life event that's been changed around to a fiction mm. so you, you know, it's just the, it's just a regular thing of you can't take this as gospel pun pun not intended <laughs> considering yeah well, uh, but Tegan, i did enjoy it uh, this was your first time watching it in a little while mm. um how was it revisiting it was quite fun mm. i think i agree it hits all the tropes that you want for a biopic they mm. do have the the tropes in their love story that mm. you need for a good biopic it was um i like how they just jump to sections in time they don't seem yeah. to bother too much about mm. you know taking us on a journey from one point to the other they it's almost like, abandon the dates and years yeah. after like the first what, 45 minutes hour so it's just mm. i love the actual technology vis- the visual like the microphone technology kept changing in time with yeah the, there were uh, bits and pieces that showed yeah. you the or the vegas show where all of a sudden june carter's in this glitzy you know yeah. vegas outfit there was just really subtle mm. ways of doing that which was really beautiful 
Um, their performances are fantastic, and they're yes. singing live, like in mm. some of the parts I, I of it as well. I was wondering how much of that was real. That was Elvis was comp- Oh god, yeah. he was the worst mime in the entire. Thing. <laughs> yeah, no. This, um, it, at least from uh, the the performances of Wacken Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon as, mm. as Johnny and June, um, they were a hundred percent them. Okay, including instruments. Yeah, yeah they, I, they'd learned to play some, all the instruments. They some played. of that was definitely pre-recorded, but that's a, mm. that's a technical thing. But because what I noticed is that when the first time you see Johnny performing in front of the, the radio executive, that found that felt like an in-the-room performance. Yeah, and they're going, no, that doesn't sound like Johnny Cash. That's you know that matches uh, his his vocal range, and that's why I was there going, hang on, how much of this is Johnny Cash and how much it isn't? Because they're doing the behind the microphone miming mm. early on and i, I was really uh, thank you for telling me that because that actually adds a lot more dimension to it yeah some here and there like the i think in the last performance that was live where he asked her to yeah marry him and things there's um i feel like as this is a film for those ultimate fans mm. like I, I mean, like, obviously there's parts of their relationship. There's, their relationship has always been so highly on display mm. because they were touring together. Mm. So I wonder if they've picked these moments because these are the moments the fans would remember. When yeah. they want to see a biopic about these two people, they want to see mm. all of these moments that, they, that they've heard on the radio <laughs> or they've, you know, that they've read about in papers. Yeah. Um, and I like that they, they deliver on that. It's satisfying. Mm. I wonder if this film was made today we would see more of the impact on June Carter Cash because there's a there's only pepperings mm. here and there about what being her in that day and age was like. Yeah. And I wanted to know more. Mm. Um, I mean, that would have interested me. Yeah. I, I mean, this is... I think it's quite... It felt like a long film. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it's more than two hours long. And I was, I was interested in it the whole way through, but I, I did find bits of it where I was kind of like, I would have liked to have seen more of that or more of something other than will Johnny Cash do drugs? Oh, he did drugs. Oh, yeah. that was bad. Um, and, like, and that was, I, I, there's nothing wrong with the portrayal and there's nothing wrong, I would say necessarily with how it's written. It just felt as though that became the big through line in the yeah. film, mm-hmm. which is you know absolutely a choice they can make. And obviously this film was made um, with, uh, their their son John Carter Cash as the executive producer, mm. and there was obviously a lot of involvement from Johnny and June themselves before they mm. uh, passed away. While this film was in production, he, he did say that it was based on two books. Yeah, I'm assuming two autobiographies. Uh, yeah, Man in Black and the other one. I, I saw it briefly in the beginning. Yeah, and, and Johnny Carter. Um, Johnny Carter. That's John- John- Johnny Carter <laughs> John of Carter. Mars. No, <laughs> Johnny Cash of Earth uh, was was um, <laughs> was quite involved in getting i suppose his his biography and his his sort of legacy in line before he passed away um so the rights to his his biopic um were owned by a producer for several years that he'd said he trusted this producer basically and was like yes you can have the rights and then after that producer got uh, you know sold the rights to the production that we have seen today it then took more years in development yeah. it was quite a long process to get this film up um, so it, it does feel as though, I think this is a film which obviously paints, as, as most biopics do, paints Johnny Cash in quite a positive light, yeah. even though he's a bit of a monster, uh, for, for large <laughs> yeah. parts of this film. Um, but, but it's, I he's... think it shows a really interesting angle of what, of why he became so dependent on, on narcotics um, because of his obviously his upbringing, the trauma of his brother dying um, when when he was twelve, um, the fact that he is never supported by his father, who remains present throughout the story of the film, um, but he is he is also a real piece of work at the same time. <laughs> He's not played for sympathy, though. Yeah. I think that I, was intriguing. Watching I will it. argue that I think he's not played for sympathy, but the cinematography adds the sympathy sympathy to him and the one thing i didn't mentally register his wife and i'm struggling to find her name uh, Viv? vivian yeah vivian. yeah she is pretty much absent and you can see that this was a decision to essentially downplay a lot of his first relationship 
in Lua, if I hadn't known just from reading the Foxtel thing that this is about Johnny Cash and June Carter, and as soon as like, oh, that's not June Carter, it's like, well, then I was kind of, I think my men, my brain was just going, let's just see how that plays out, and then it's like, yeah, she's pretty much erased even before June Carter puts into things. So I'm not sure if how much is that is a reflection on Johnny himself and his autobiographies, how much he's downplayed that, or that was just that thing of we're not going to focus on this and we're just going to move subtly move towards this other story it's funny that just thinking about that there's there's more of their story after this finishes yes yeah. we're it's it's kind of interesting to look at their relationship in all of that state i don't I, when you've got like they said you know they've got that little disclaimer at the end they mm. were together then for 35 years making more music yeah. it's like well is is there anything in that that we yeah, wouldn't would have wanted to see. There's the Johnny Cash show came after this, mm. which was very very interesting show. Which was you know a, a lot of what people remember of Johnny Cash later on. And then there's the older years when he became cool again, mm. thanks to Trent Reznor's songs and mm. things mm. you know things like that. There's so much from this. That's it's always a, f- a thing when it comes to a biopic. Uh, one of my favorite biopics is The King by Graham Kenny. I've listened to like the, the behind the scenes. I've, I was following some of the behind the scenes. Mm. And it's always that thing where it comes to editing a biopic is where do you start, where do you stop? Because some person's career can go on for, yeah, 20, yeah. 30 odd years after the end of a biopic. But sometimes like you've got to have a dramatic through point. You, unless like you want to go from literally birth to death. Mm. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the things where they told they wanted to get the maximum impact of this story. Mm. They've specifically chosen that yeah. time period. Yeah, didn't have the impact that I remember it having on me. Okay, however long ago, it, I just was enjoying watching it. Mm. I was like, this is pleasant. Yeah, this is sweet. It, it is, and like I think the, this film gets a lot right. I, I think it's it is a good a good biopic, mm-hmm. um, and that you know I was invested in you know oh do do Johnny Cash and June Carter get together knowing full well that they do, but yeah. I'm still there going, but, but how, how's yeah, it going to go? Yeah, the and, how is important. And part of that is because I felt that I cared for these people because the performances were really good. Yeah. I thought, um, you know, Quacking Phoenix as, um, as, as Johnny Cash um, is, is, is great. I think he, he does an absolutely fantastic performance in this. Uh, not, not just obviously being able to sound like Johnny Cash in some of the songs that he does, where mm. it's, eerily similar hmm. um but just his his whole portrayal and like because I, I always think of johnny cash as i suppose the image of him of just being like this super cool man in black hmm. and he's like particularly in those early bits where he's like an awkward door-to-door salesman <laughs> and things like that I, like it was really fun seeing how um Joaquin phoenix sort of portrayed that and brought in those elements that you don't associate with hmm. the image we have of johnny cash and and June Carter with um, Reese Witherspoon's portrayal I think is it's coming at it from a different angle because I don't have like as much of an image of June Carter um, Mm -hmm. imprinted but I feel like I really got a sense of the person that she was or at least the person that her estate want me to think that she was but didn't you want more like there was so much I felt like there was so much more that was interesting to her that Mm. we still didn't get to learn like she's she had to be fun. She had to learn. Maybe that resonated with me as a female. I don't know, but no, she no. had to learn how to be funny because she wasn't the talented one in her family, but everyone loved her. You know, it's, it's all peppered they through. They really do load and up the, uh, her backstory do. in that cafe scene. And yeah. It's just like, and she's had this career because we don't really find out that that's... Okay, I'm not sure if anyone else was having this issue. I think some of the sound mixing on this was a little bit off. Like, no. yeah. the music was... Way too loud. It was draining out some of the vocals. Yeah. Uh, the vocals, the... Um, the dialogue. dialogue. Dialogue, yes. Yeah, there was a couple of moments where that happened. And yeah. I think it was probably deliberate mm. to create some of the the sense of confusion. Like, I have no idea what that prisoner was shouting to him in the Folsom Blues bit. Um, something about man Shouting the lyrics, the yeah. next lyric to Yeah, I, I sort of figured it. What that's what it was. But that was... I only figured that out because of his reaction of, like, putting <laughs> his thumbs up and going, yeah! Um, I love that scene. But yeah. we didn't, they didn't go into her... The you know the, her two divorces yes yeah like yeah. they were just kind of thrown yeah. out there when they were obviously such a huge thing she did come from a massive Baptist background that's what they mm. were that the family were there to preach and sing and on the radio like 
the family were beautiful. I loved her family dynamic as well. Like yeah. they were. I wanted. I just wanted to watch a June Carter cash. Well, I, I did like that scene at the supermarket where you do get yeah. a bit of her the reaction publicly, like the people loving her and that one person like you're going to hell. And then her shame, oh, like wow. she was so yeah. affected by that woman, yeah. which I think is so interesting. Like mm. she wasn't this. You know, it's a time of feminism and politics and women. You know, and women's liberation, things like that. And yet she was so caught in two worlds where she was living the women's the liberation of being able to divorce, being able to go on tour on her own, still have two kids at home, but also was ashamed of that. Mm. That's amazing. That would be a really fascinating thing to look into because then she was still the she's still the wife of Johnny Cash, even though they they lived as a couple they lived as you know as equals yeah after this i feel like like this is like the setup of them getting to eat getting to know each other and she was still caring for him and looking after him but I, after I that do i do love that he I, even says like you're my best friend it's yes. not like it's not that thing of i'm love you love you love you it's like no you are literally the only person that's really been there for me and i yeah. did yeah. love that the sub the storytelling behind that especially like the drugs because that's the thing yeah she got rid of all these drugs in that night in in Nevada, mm. but that's technically the worst thing you can do is not just get rid of drugs, but it's then leaving him to go and get them. Mm. If she did what she did later, where she actually stood around, stuck around, got him clean. Mm. Okay, we wouldn't have had this movie. My mom even had a completely different tangent on Johnny Cash's career, but mm. that's really what you should do with with someone like that. And I think that could have been something that were this a June Carter Cash biopic. That we would have seen, you know, we would yeah. have probably seen her like get rid of the drugs and then finding out that Johnny got arrested for the drug running from Mexico <laughs> and then her going, oh, no, and, and that building into her mm. the next time that she helps him um, being there and also partly making that decision that she wants to to help him because they're they're such good friends mm. whereas obviously in that initial one where she gets rid of the drugs it feels like that more came out of anger yeah because she's got all these mixed feelings about the fact yeah. that you know she she knows that he's married and got kids and that she's yeah. just been through two divorces and she's very sort of conflicted about this and i think yeah had this been a, f- a film that was about her we maybe would have seen that but i think mm. it ultimately kind of ties back to the fact that this is a film that was sold as the johnny cash biopic yeah um, but I, I really like how big a part June plays in this when it's a film about their relationship. I think the fact that it's about both of them to the degree that it is, um, is great. But I do feel as though I just want that little bit more June. And it could just yeah. be because Reese Witherspoon is amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I think, again, I think today we would cut all of the first half mm. of mm. that, of you know, the build-up of... Because really... I don't know. I think back on all of those stars at the time, and you've got so many troubled stars in there. Mm. When you, you know they're all popping up, you've got Elvis, you've got Roy Orbison, you've got Jerry Lee Lewis. You know, yeah, mm. I, I was everyone's is, there, and you're like, mate, you've got it good yeah. <laughs> compared act- to all of those others. Yeah, the actor that Buddy, played Jerry Lee is just like, oh my god, they got someone who almost as crazy as Jerry Lee Lewis. Absolutely, it was so. So that I felt like for me, maybe the backstory was a bit of a letdown. I'd rather just mm. see a, a guy with troubles yeah i guess i'd rather it start in... with them right at the start of his career not with all the farm stuff none of that yeah. stuff it was beautiful i, I loved it and the, the kids were beautiful but That's i'm like only I mean, there to pay off the father confrontation absolutely it's there yeah. it, it kind of that felt again watching it with my 2020 eyes mm-hmm. on film mm. felt um that that was your true biopic sort yeah. of we've got to justify how shitty this guy is yeah. so we're going to do this justification stuff and absolutely it's part of the trauma i don't mean to dismiss the trauma of it no. um but i also go it's so much more uh fulfilling for me now it doesn't thematically 30- tie into the main core of this which is their relationship and the drug yes, addiction because today i'd like to watch a film where someone is uh, more of a grey area as opposed mm. to the black and white of this is why he is the way he is and we have to forgive the trauma. I'm like, I love the idea. We were talking about it before about people doing amazing things but not being a nice person. Mm. And then June seeing through that and then June having her own t- turmoil with, with the divorces and seeing whoever she was marrying and maybe seeing those sort of um, dynamics between those couples. Because he even says, when he says at that point, 
you're too afraid of being in love. So she was marrying people that she wasn't in love with. Like mm. that's kind of, that's really cool. I like mm. meaty, meaty stuff. Yeah. No, you do bring up a really good point there is that, yeah, a biopic, Monday biopics. Okay. Biopics change, have changed throughout time. Like mm. it used to be more, you know, more fictitious styling. You know, it used to be like the one good guy, the one bad guy, very, very Hollywood. Now this was probably where the graying area started is like, we want to tell a bit more of a the the real truth behind a person, so we, we will show him being a bit of a shit, mm. as opposed to like being you know you wallpapering over the bad stuff. I think that's why I do like some documentaries a bit more than biopics. A documentary will at least try and gain the truth. Mm. Um, so uh, as I was saying earlier about my love of autobiographies, one of my uh, so one of my heroes died last uh, sorry just over a week ago, James Randi. Mm. I got to meet him in 2014 when oh, really? he was promoting a, his documentary. Well, he didn't make it. was about his life. And in that, so James Randi is a um, former magician. Uh, he was one of the heads of Skeptic Movement. Brilliant thinker. Lovely person. And in this documentary, you, okay, he only just come out as being gay only a few years previously, but nobody knew about his partner. Mm. And during this movie, it's actually revealed that his partner was actually an illegal immigrant. Right. Mm-hmm. And this literally came out during the filming. Nobody knew except for Randy and his partner. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those scenes where you could take this out of this movie, or this documentary, because that's a bit personal, but they left it in. Because as much as it kind of, you know, James Randy has always been about the truth. And here he has with this one big lie that yeah. nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. And it actually adds a lot of depth. It does. It, mm. When you look at, like, and putting those sort of kind of glasses onto someone like Johnny mm. Cash, he pretends to be a prisoner, <laughs> you know, to, and that's what made him famous, mm. but he never went to jail. Yeah. There's so much about him. Then he became a preacher. Like, then he, like, the Johnny Cash show literally had sections for preachers on it to come out and offer a sermon to everyone. Mm. And this is national live television in the 70s. There's so much about him that he's kind of like that. Like, like I, mm. I would love, and I'd love to dive deeper into that sort of stuff. And I think mm. maybe if you looked at it today, mm. well, we'd they- maybe get that. Because that would be so satisfying mm. to have. He's such a brilliant man, but he's mm. such it's it's all a lie. Mm. Well, they did have that one scene where he does go back to the church mm. with June yeah. uh, um, post the addiction, and I think that was just that hint of his spirituality. Even though this really doesn't, this movie it doesn't, doesn't it doesn't talk doesn't about, really about it talk at about all, it. which yeah. I think is a bold choice yeah, that they've made because they he his is gospel stuff. But that's about it. Even though the record executive is like, you all your fans are Christians. We don't want to you know, go into yeah. prison and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I love that. I, I think the, f- the film does a really good job of that, of picking which it's picking its battles almost. Yeah. Where yeah. It's like it knows that Johnny Cash as a subject has got as a lot of depth like mm. you've got the religion you've got the mm. drug addiction you've got the marriage to vivian you've got getting together with june carter you've got his appearance on colombo uh <laughs> in later in his career which i just want to flag up because it's so incredible uh, like it's like just just go watch it uh, but you've got all of these great I hope things it's on youtube <laughs> oh it should be um yeah absolutely give it a watch um but he's He's such an interesting subject that I think they've they've picked they've picked obviously what they wanted to focus on, which is the drugs in June, mm. and they they make these allusions to other things. Like I feel as though that the whole trauma with his father could have been the main through line. That could have been a movie film. in and of itself. Because yeah, you have when he and Vivian ultimately break up, and like he's like pinned her down on the floor in the kids' say, and he's become that abusive father father figure and he's mortified like Mm. i think that's when he's at his lowest is is Mm. when he's sat outside by the pool afterwards Mm. realizing that he's become the very thing that he hates and that could have been the main through line of the film there's an interesting cinematic shot because there's earlier on the film in when he's moved into the new house he's like sitting outside and there's like a eagle or a vulture or something a bird of prey circling around and after that low point, you can actually hear the same bird mm. squawking in the background. Wow. Yeah. It's just that thing of like, interesting enough, you never see his children again or, yeah. or his children again after that moment. Mm. They, are, they talk a 
about them, but they are effectively I think erased. They came back into his life later on because there's oh there's a doco about them in the Johnny Cash show, and I'm pretty sure it's mm. narrated by his daughter. Yeah. Um. The older the older daughter. But even after like the first or second pregnancy, he has like three daughters. There's three, with him. yeah. And even the third pregnancy is barely remarked upon. Yeah. And. They are, uh, and you, maybe it was like you said, they just became more and more diminished in his life out of mm. the importance of them. And it, it, maybe that's where the, sh- the film is subtly showing those things mm. as opposed to maybe I feel like I was expecting like, here's the thing that you need to know and here's the thing mm. that you need to be affected by. Here's where you cry. Here's where you cry. Mm. Didn't really do that. Yeah. Just kind of made its point. Yeah. It, it sort of evolved into a few different things as it went. And I feel as though... They largely picked um, good things to make this film about, like mm. the religion angle. I think as a as a sort of thematic undercurrent, as opposed to being the big thing, was probably a good choice because it just helped reinforce more of who he was, who June was, who that was definitely was. June's struggle more than Johnny's. Yeah, I mean, it was always the religious part was always like June's issue, mm. which is good that actually she was given some pathos. She was given some. Yeah. struggles of her own and like she, she i mean she wasn't um as as love interests in in biopics mm. often are their entire life revolves around who the love interest is yeah. um be, just because the nature of the film is oh this is the biopic about freddie mercury so we're going to just focus on freddie mercury and um you know at, at biopics about elvis yeah. and about anyone that you want care to mention like it's mm. always just their relationship to them and they don't tend to have much going on outside of that I it felt as though june's yeah. struggles were put up in a way where i guess maybe that's why we're finding her quite engaging is that she could have easily been the lead of this film yeah, yeah it should have been a double lead film I it's it, it is painted as the johnny cash biopic i think in my memory from this film though i always thought it was the johnny and june film but and so looking back on it i'm kind of surprised at how much less of her there is in it than i remember i i think i remember it being marketed more as just like this is yeah this is johnny cash because mm. right? I, I would like to oh. as much as he was a big figure i don't recall there ever being like like there's been like dozens of films about Elvis. Mm. Like this is the only one I can think of that I've ever heard about Johnny Cash. Have there been that many films about Elvis? He just made films. One made a lot, but there was like uh, I know Kurt Russell's played Elvis oh, in the yeah. movie. I've known uh, well Bubba Hotep. <laughs> Bubba Hotep's the best biography of um, Elvis we've ever seen. Mm. Um, you know, even though it, Baz is on his way, he's making one. It's happening next year. Oh, he's doing an Elvis biopic. Yeah, my sister's in it. Oh, oh uh, yeah. is she Elvis or is she the the manager? <laughs> she's uh, no, she's the colonel. The, she's yeah. the the chick that I think Tom Hanks is the colonel. Oh God, oh, that's um, right. That's why he got COVID. Oh, yeah, no, he was no, in Australia. No. Yeah. That's no, yeah. no, 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 no. Don't have Tom Hanks as the colonel. I that think makes he is. the colonel sympathetic, and the colonel was an asshole. That's why it'd be fun to see him. Allegedly, I don't know who he's playing. I don't want to get the podcast um, installed by the uh, well, colonel. Go- state. Google is no help because it gives me the cast list, including uh, Kate Mulvaney, but she doesn't have her character name. She on doesn't. Either. So she. You mean Kate Mulvaney of the merger? Of the merger, yeah. yeah. She's in it. She's she's got a little bit in it. Oh, but it's really? going to be. I'm just having a look. Richard Roxburgh, David Wenham, and Tom Hanks all in this film. It's got a good cast. Yeah, it's, it's mm. a really great cast. Mm. Um, but we're not talking about Elvis. We're talking no. about <laughs> Johnny Cash. Uh, the music of this film. Uh, we yeah. haven't really touched on the music. Um, Johnny Cash and June Carter did great songs. I think they mm, did. That just in general. That's but all the other songs are great. I love this sort of music. Like you were saying, it's like Oh Brother, We're Out There. It's that same. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. that soundtrack of that time. Oh, one thing I wanted to bring up. I a love, bit I'm not sure if this is a real life thing, but I love how his bandmates were all the same right through. Because mm. that's usually a thing like the one. Because there's a. Well, they a, just grew. I love the, the te- Tennessee Two, then there were the Tennessee Three. Yeah. And then like, all the time they got a drummer. Then, yeah, then they became the Tennessee Eight or something. Yeah. I just uh, That was a fun uh, little gag. Because that was the thing at the beginning. It's like, oh, yeah, Johnny's good, but the other two are a bit meh. Yeah, and it's I like it when a band sticks together. Yeah, there's got one from and I even I've even named right Weird Al Yankovic. I love Weird Al Yankovic. He's had the same band from the beginning, and you know, he's the bandmates are always there. They're not, they're not yeah, they're not bothered about the spotlight, but 
Yeah. They're always there. And they've, they've got, you know, their moments. Um, mm. The the one who blew up the tree, uh, um, <laughs> whose name I forget, but... Um, I don't think we ever got told their names to be yeah. honest. I'm going to just the call mechanic. Him... Mechanic one, mechanic two. Yeah, I'm just going to call... The, oh, yeah, the bassist. Bass mechanic. Yeah, yeah the bassist. I'm just going to call mechanic. him George. Oh, my he God, he's... George Ashforth. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's doing slab bass at the beginning and his miming is terrible because you can actually hear when the, the bass strings are slapping on the uh, fretboard mm. and... His hand is nowhere near it. And it's like, mm. I'm not trying not to. I'm trying not to, but I can't unhear it. Mm. But, but they were great. I really, yeah, yeah they, they were good. And I think the music, though, mm. um, obviously, they, they did a really good job of, of sounding like John and June and the band and all of that. And that's yeah. fantastic. But um, I'm curious what you guys thought of how the music was actually used, like um, the way that they sort of integrated it within the world and obviously the way that musical biopics do using oh this person's having troubled times here's their troubled times song how, how did you feel they actually used it though um i felt that they were using it more as a linear thing so it felt like they were that's where it felt very um i guess very predictable for mm. me was like uh when she said you got to learn to walk the line. And then all of a sudden yeah, the next song was walk the line. And those sort of was... things were kind of bugging me a little bit. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, you, you could be a little bit more clever this than that. This is our Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie, but. <laughs> but yeah, it's that thing. It's, it was like, Oh, I would prefer. Yeah. It would have been nice to have it used a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Metaphorically. Yeah. I have not being a big Johnny Cash fan. I, I, I could probably say I've maybe heard like three or four songs in my lifetime that I, that I know I've heard of his. It's not one of those things. I, I did recognize a few of the tunes. Um, so I don't know how accurate they are to the era. Like, I just couldn't tell you, but I think it worked. I, I, I just, I don't have a gripe when it comes to that type mm-hmm. of stuff. I mean, I did like how they used, how Johnny was being an absolute Dick and just like no we're gonna sing the song you used to sing with your ex-husband because i want to bone you that's the thing i wonder like i would like to know because that'll be recorded mm. so they'll be on records those so if they're actually yeah. things that have happened that's where my because my knowledge of and love of mm. their history is not as much as other people i know but i'm like well of course you'd have to do it that way and in that style because that's how that's what people will be wanting. They'll want you to be recreating what they have heard and mm. what they know, which is tricky with a biopic like this with a relationship. So, because so, there's not a lot of artistic license you can really use, I think, mm. for those sort of sections because a lot of it was staged and in front of people. So, I, I don't know about that. One thing I, I remembered, uh, so at the beginning when Johnny's first trying to get a career and he finds a shop that, sells record well you create a record and sell it four dollars um i brought this up just recently in my podcast uh, 60 seconds to comply free plug (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because um essentially up until the yeah essentially the turn of the 20th century we really didn't have recorded music we we had some technology record sound like uh the 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 clay wheel uh, the wax wheels and stuff like that but not really good ways of replicating music. We had sheet music, we knew instruments, but there's literally throughout all of human history, we mm. had no way to record music. Yeah. So actually the record your own record was actually a fad at the time because mm. it was a way, it was the technology to prove to such a point where you could just knock off these one-off uh, records for cheap. They weren't great. But you could have them. Yeah, we could have them. That's how some um, music... You know, some artists actually started because mm. they would get a band together, they would record one, so they'd have something they could show around. But yeah, it's exactly right. People got to expect to listen to pitch-perfect renditions of their favorite songs. Mm. Mashup and remixing is mostly a modern-day invention. Mm. I have to say that I think that the most effective use of music was the very start of the film, mm. where you have the the prisoners in Folsom Prison. <laughs> stamping their feet but yeah. you start off outside the prison and you've got the guards and you can just hear this faint drumming this dun mm. dun dun yeah. that's coming through but they're they're not just doing like a normal like clap you know like where's yeah. johnny no, it's, it's 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 got aggressive a, it's got a blues and angry and, it's got a blues and rhythm feel to yes. it that comes from his music yeah and it's 
so good. Yeah. I, I really loved the use of that at the beginning. And I think it just sets that, that tempo for for the start of the film and then for when we come back to it and it's sort mm. of the start of the third act. I think it's just really well done. I think yeah. for me that was, the, that was the standout bit of music. Uh, you could have actually finished this movie and I think another filmmaker probably would have done it. You could have finished this movie at Folsom Prison, the recording, right at the end. Mm. And I've actually, I was honestly expecting that to happen. I actually wasn't expecting it to have the subsequent, what, 15 minutes after that where With you the actually... proposal. Um, yeah, I, I literally was not expecting that to really happen. I thought, this is just going to cut off here. We're going to get June and uh, Donnie get married. Mm. You know, as a as an end... We did get the, the end... The, the title end. card where yeah. it says they did things for 35 years. That feels like a... I actually felt that was a really good choice, actually, to keep going and we finally get that moment of catharsis. Mm. Whereas I... Because it's one of those things where, yeah, it's a bit cliche... Yeah. The entire movie is a flashback for that one moment. But I did think thematically it worked. Would you be happy if the person that you were romantically involved with proposed to you on stage mid Statistically now, speaking, proposals like that don't work. Okay, but I, I'm just saying more personally, you, Simon Haynes, are uh, performing with, I guess, Johnny Cash. Let's say... <laughs> like, like, the, the, uh, yeah, I think I'd be happy that anyone would want to marry me. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but, but would that be like your ideal proposal? No. 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 Tegan? No, no, no. I think it's based on the circumstances. I, mm. Again, I think looking at it with today's eyes, mm. we look at it and go, you're a jerk. Yes. <laughs> it, um, it how puts dare you someone. do that to someone who is really struggling with the impact of marriage and mm. divorce on her life and her religion? Mm. Um but, you know, 15 years ago, we were loving the romance of it. And yeah. probably back when, again, it's recorded, yeah. it would have been in front of an audience. Mm. They probably loved it. Yeah. Um, but now it just reminds you of that tennis player who's who won that big Grand Slam and her husband and her fiancé proposed to her during mm. her Grand Slam speech. Mm. No, um, don't do that, folks. Don't do it's it. It's really... Yeah, I, I didn't. I guess because it's the '60s at that point, it doesn't have the same impact. It's far more expected of those times. But yeah, don't don't do that now. No, people. I, I mean, because I, I, I was just getting slight hives because I've I'm I'm someone who um, just got married. Who just yeah. got married? <laughs> but but and, and going, oh god, marriage. Ugh. No, I was more thinking because um, my uh, partner, Doctor Alan, and I both work in theatre in performance. We're both people who are on stage. We're both people who have been in plays together. I would never have proposed <laughs> yeah. in that set. In fact, that was unprofessional. Yeah, like it. There's just it. Yeah, like I, I guess a music concert. It's kind of like different rules and stuff. But that big public forum proposal thing, particularly if you're on stage performing something. If I'm making my bassist keep playing that line for an extra two minutes, going like, you know, while I have an argument on stage. Okay, has anyone seen Tim Heidecker's new special? His new comedy special? No. If you want to see the most awkward proposal, watch that. So Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric um, has been running around being this horrific uh, terrible stand-up, just playing open mics here and there intentionally. <laughs> Absolutely intentionally. He is a genius. Mm. Uh, and then he did a net, like a Netflix or whatever, one of those, an hour-long yeah. special as this horrific comedian who can't tell jokes. Mm. And at one point, he's like, he gets so angry and aggressive that he's like, what's your net? Who's here with a partner? And he gets <laughs> them up on stage and he makes them propose to each God. other. He makes... This guy proposed, and it's the most horrible thing to watch. You just like this. It was like, oh my god, that's when that's what you need to do. Like yeah. it was oh, no. that was so brilliant. It reminded me of that. Yeah. No. So there has been studies into this, mm. and because what usually happens is someone who plans a big, big romantic gesture, like big public romantic gesture. I'm not sure what the statistics is. I will say probably about seven times out of ten the relationship is not working Yeah, mate, it's the last-ditch effort. It's a last-ditch effort. Yeah. And people who... And the, it's always to pressure the other person into saying yes. Yeah. And Which is what that was. Yes. It's exactly yeah. what Johnny did to Jim. Exactly. He's an asshole, yeah. but he's, he's our asshole. 
Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess it just it just. Really... I think for, I think it, it's it's hard to sit with because mm-hmm. we know that there was thirty five years yeah. of happy marriage afterwards, and it was a pretty happy life that yeah. they had afterwards by all accounts. So it's tricky because mm. that is not great what no. happened, but also mm. there's there's a lovely history afterwards yeah. there, which is probably going to make I guess the other people think it worked for Johnny worked. and Jill. Yeah, mm. the hindsight worked for this. Yeah. I, look, if you, if you were two people who would love to get married or like engaged – in like I don't know a giant baseball crowd like when they do the big God, sports proposals no, like no. go for it that's great but but particularly in this circumstance I was just like Johnny why Johnny no, no Johnny don't please Johnny don't did. please don't yeah uh, would you guys like some trivia about Walk the Line yes I would love some trivia okay all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb so if it ain't true don't blame me uh, we're going to start with uh, co-writer and director James Mangold said that Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon developed a very codependent relationship during filming. According to him, after the filming wrapped, Phoenix admitted that he and Witherspoon relied on each other so much that they've made a secret pact. If one of them dropped out of the film, the other would leave as well. Wow. Uh, and I, I do think that their their relationship in terms of performing relationship he, um, was correct really me if I'm wrong he is, he is a, I did make a joke about it he is a method actor though isn't he yeah, yeah. That, that kind of makes a lot of sense on his on his perspective yeah um, they performed all the songs themselves of course uh, without being dubbed they also learned how to play their instruments mm. uh, guitar and auto harp respectively from scratch yeah I noticed her finger plucking was spot on so it's mm. like that has to be recorded live yeah um, when Johnny Cash wakes up on the tour bus just after the Folsom Blues performance, he walks past guitarist Luther Perkins, who has passed out with a lit cigarette in his mouth, and puts it out. Uh, in real life, Perkins died a few months after the Folsom recording uh, because he fell asleep with a cigarette in his oh, mouth um, and died from the injuries that he sustained from oh, the results of fire. So it felt like, that feels like a spinal tap death. It does a little bit, but... I really like that details in the that's film. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. heartbreaking. But it's mm. one of those things that if you don't know, it's just, oh, it, that's a funny moment. Where that used to happen a lot. Yeah, but that's like, have you seen the Sid and Nancy document, The Filth and the Fury, where no. they're trying to interview Sid and Nancy and he's off chops and he's got a cigarette in his mouth yeah. and keeps falling asleep and it keeps <laughs> burning her arm. It's like, I think it's actually a pretty common <laughs> way people uh, die. Beetlejuice, there's the... Yeah, yeah, no. Dead it, guy in the- <laughs> It used to happen a lot, and it that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of mysterious things like spontaneous con- combustion became yes. a thing was because people were literally lighting up, smoking all the time, going over there. And it, yeah, yeah, Mythbusters did a whole thing on it. And mm. Yeah, like old, there's old polyester uh, couches and stuff yes. like that. Yes. And the night dresses yep. and things, yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, Waylon Payne originally auditioned for the role of Waylon Jennings. Uh, the director, James Mangold, was so impressed by Payne's audition that he cast him as Jerry Lee Lewis instead. Wow. Uh, interestingly enough, the actor who got the role of Waylon Jennings was Waylon's son, Shooter Jennings. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that on the credits. Mm. And wow. Shooter Jennings is a great Shooter. name. That is a great name. Um, Johnny Cash approved Joaquin Phoenix to play him in the film uh, because he really liked his performance in Gladiator. Hmm. Awesome. I don't know if that's just him, Johnny Cash going, that's how I live my life. I, I would have <laughs> totally just completely messed up. It is up a Russell great Crow. performance I, in I Gladiator. I Gladiator not getting a great rating on this uh, podcast. True, but I don't think that was because of Wacky and Phoenix. No, no, Wacky like, was He was very good. He was incredible. Uh, similarly, June Carter Cash approved Reese Witherspoon for the role in the film as well. So they, yeah. the, the real life people got to pick the actors that they really wanted so cool it's yeah. a bit of a shame that they died during production because I would love to have known what their reaction would have been they might have seen dailies but um possibly it, yeah it's it's it, it is a little bit of a shame but yeah I mean I don't know I always think about the thing with biopics is they, they are usually done after the people mm. involved have passed away yeah and I do wonder if you were alive long enough to see your own biopic <laughs> Oh, if that's God. a good thing or not. That'd be so boring for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, like, I, 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 I think it would be quite difficult. Elton John was. That's true. He yeah. loved yeah. it. Taron yeah. Egerton did a good job. That's true. I was, I was just sitting here going, there he, must be a... Of course, there's a... Because uh, I was going to say, wasn't Elton John really heavily involved with that production? I think so, yeah. Mm. yeah. There'd be a few like that. Yeah, I just think it'd be weird to see somebody dressed as me doing things that I remember doing. Like, I just think that would be a really weird thing 
That would be a great YouTube video. Watching someone make a biopic of yourself. Yeah. And then just being like, I don't do that. <laughs> you've, oh. got, you've got me entirely wrong. And then the, the, the mimic is entirely perfect. Yeah. Um, the scene in which Johnny Cash pulls the sink off the wall was not scripted. Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix actually pulled the sink off the wall. Was not meant to. Yeah. That uh, didn't look fully plumbed though, so. Yeah. It's probably just as well maybe yeah. they turn that off. Because, Yeah. He's a strong boy, is what we learned. He's a mm. strong boy. Um, a you don't, it's a one-take scene, though, yeah. so that would mm. be why they'd have so to just he, keep going. Having having had to film a scene like that, yeah. it's terrifying having to do a one-take scene where you've got to smash the oh, shit out no. of everything. Mm. Um, so, and then and then the other sorry, no. sorry the other part of that is there's usually a set dresser there going. You're allowed to smash that, <laughs> but not that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be like, ah, I'm enraged. Oh, I'll smash that one. And then that one. And then you like, you have to look around the room and figure out what the set dresser said. Don't touch that. Yeah. So I, <laughs> all hats off to everyone in that scene. Yeah. Just I, going, oh my God, we've got to get no, this. Nobody wants to be Kurt Russell from Hateful Eight. <laughs> <laughs> That's, nobody wants to do no that. No one wants to be I in guess Hateful in that Eight. scene, he threw everything into it, including the kitchen sink. Bing, bing. <laughs> Uh, according to the director, James Mangold, when Wackin' Phoenix was learning how to sing and play the guitar like Johnny Cash, his voice was too high and the band learned how to play Cash's songs in a higher key. But just before filming started, Wackin's voice dropped closer to Johnny's level and the band had to retune all of their instruments <laughs> to be back in the original key. How did he do that? I don't know. His, his balls because you're dropped more. His musical balls dropped. Mind. His musical balls, yeah. yeah. Maybe you got laryngitis. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was a good callback, as line. terrible as it was. That yeah. was cute. Um, when Mangold asked uh, Johnny Cash what his favourite film was uh, as part of his research, Johnny Cash replied, Frankenstein from 1931, <laughs> uh, because, quote, it's about a man made up of all these bad parts, and yet he still tries to do something decent and be someone decent. I recall that not ending well for Frankenstein True. and the monster. Because you're mine. I'm, I'm Frankenstein. Frankenstein. <laughs> the other uh, song that I would love to see the Frankenstein Johnny Cash mic take of is uh, One Piece at a Time, uh-huh. which is just a wonderful song about a man who steals parts from an auto yard. It is Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. It's like, well, we got a... <laughs> we got a strange uh, man when we put it all together. We noticed he had two thumbs on the left and one on the right. Like that kind of thing. You've got to get an Abby normal joke in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Abby someone. I just like the idea of Johnny Cash watching Frankenstein, though. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah. I'm just imagining it. I've imagined it's it. alive. Yeah. It's alive. <laughs> uh, Wackin' Phoenix wears 56 different costumes in this film. They yeah. were all designed by Ariane Phillips who did meticulous research with the Cash family, um, looking at his clothing and going through the archives. I thought that at one point. I was like, he's always in a different yeah. thing, mm. It's which is great. Even it's simple, like even it was just the the night, like the clean uh, white yeah. shirt. And wrong, he's... wrong big problem this movie. Johnny Cash is the man in black and he's not wearing black throat this entire film. Now we've got to ding a point. No, but he puts it back on. I like that bit though when he yeah. puts it back on when he's come clean yeah. and you know yeah. comes out of it. I thought that was a they were beautiful little moments. Yeah, it's like Iron Man putting on well, the suit again. That <laughs> record scene when you say about the mental image you have of Johnny Cash as the cool guy in black. That's pretty much it. That yeah, that's the Iron Man in the suit shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's interesting that yeah we only really see that when he's talking to the record record executives. Yeah, he's big dog in the executive. And I yeah. love that. Um, Kathy Cash, who was Johnny's second daughter with his first wife, Vivian, walked out of a family screening of this film five times, which means that she walked back in at least four (laughs) times. Um, She felt that Phoenix and Witherspoon's performances were Oscar-worthy, but that her mother was cast in an unfair light. Uh, She did not feel there were enough scenes of Johnny interacting with his children and that the film portrayed her father too harshly. Uh, When her half-brother, John Carter Cash, who was the executive producer of this film, was asked about her reaction. He responded that the movie was intended to tell the love story between his mother and his father. So he basically said, we're Mm. focusing on this love story. We're not... I mean, Johnny Jr. isn't even in the film because he's born after the events that they choose to have. That's the sequel. Yeah. I don't think they portrayed her necessarily terribly. I don't... I think she was... True, but... I just think she was playing... I think the I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see that. Vivian is never really shown in a truly positive light. Like she's not shown. I don't think she's she's shown negatively. I think I I just. I 
She's shown as someone who's been failed by her husband in some ways. But yeah. she again, she's living, she's living in a grey area where he thinks he's giving her what she wants, but she wants her husband and she wants normality and she wants, and he's. Again, it, it's a very stereotypical trope of these films. It's probably stereotypical of what they all lived as mm. well. But it's um, I don't, I don't know. I thought she was fine. Yeah. Uh, for the Folsom prison sequence, Joaquin Phoenix insisted that the crew members playing the wardens uh, not let the extras who were playing the inmates eat, drink, or go to the toilet to help create a tense atmosphere on set. Now, I don't know if Joaquin Phoenix has that power. Uh, he may have done. May have. But that if bit... he did, he's a wanker. Yeah. And he can jump. Again, That's method right. acting. Because one of the best Method things... acting is such mm. shit. Yes. I... Like, if you're not a good actor, you're a method actor. Camera comes on, do your thing. Camera goes off, let them go to the toilet. I prefer methadone actors. (laughs) I totally stole the joke, but... (laughs) Yeah. Um, Look, one of the best things about being an extra from the shoots I've been an extra for is the food. (laughs) If if Wacken Phoenix or anybody else was like, don't let them go near the food. Crafty. No, crafty. It's the best. Yeah, I'd be like, nope, not happy. Not happy at all. Uh, The film owes its existence to a 1993 episode of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> nice. Johnny Cash was guest starring on the show and have become friends with Jane Seymour and her husband, uh, the film director, James Keach. Cash suggested to Keach that he should tackle a film of the singer's life, which he readily agreed to. So Keach and Seymour started compiling interviews with Johnny Cash in preparation for the script. In 1997, Gil Dennis, or Jill Dennis, I can never tell with the gif gif thing, uh, had enough material to put a screenplay together, but the project stalled. That's when Keach reached out to James Mangold, knowing the director had been lobbying hard for a chance to get involved. But I just like the fact that this came about because Johnny Cash was on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> that, to me, explains the flaws in this film. Yeah. And what we're talking about, what we'd prefer to see in this film, mm. because it was his idea to make a film about his own life. Yeah. And for me, that it's never going to be a success if that's yeah. the choice that's made. Ego is always going to be a Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And there is a lot of ego in this film. And the more we're talking about this film and the more we're talking about Johnny Cash, the more I dislike this film. <laughs> Just in this last half, I was like, I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I'm going to give it a seven. <laughs> we're going down. Yeah. I, I think because of because of this stuff that's going on behind it. I'm yeah. like, it's again, I, I, I'm happy to watch a film and they are fascinating people, but the ego is... Mm. The ego is present. ...is present and is the draw is, is the catalyst for this being made, which is problematic. Mm. Well, I think that's that's always going to be a problem when you've got a biopic with some with the, the subject being involved. There's always going to be a... That's, again, that's kind of why I like autobiographies. I know it sounds bad because it's it's bias. It's always going to be biased, but I like seeing how someone tells their tale, mm-hmm. and that's always going to be a thing of if you just kind of go in there with that uh, that idea of this isn't a hundred. Well, okay, there's no such thing as a hundred percent factually true because mm. it just can't be. Everyone's going to have a bias. Everyone's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to have a point to yeah. view, and it's the culmination of all that which can either be interesting, artistic, or downright horrible Mm. in the same year that robert patrick played johnny cash's dad in this film he also played elvis presley's dad in the (laughs) biopic elvis (laughs) wasn't wasn't rocking phoenix supposed to do the elvis biopic an elvis biopic as well at one point i'm I'm not sure but i I just like the fact that robert patrick apparently just looks like um all great musicians dads apparently uh from this time period yeah and, yeah, look, it is always fun seeing the T-1000 in any film. Call to John. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Cash. Yeah, he never he never really, his star never really took off, did it? You know, he yeah, still, he, he was he, in he X-Files. A, yes, he, I was going to say, he was in X-Files for a bit. He's in something else now. He's had a career that he's I think most been. people would love to have. He's fine. Yeah. I think he's fine. Yeah. In, as I'm saying, he's never reached, like, Arnold, you know, of course no one reaches Arnold Schwarzenegger's starhood, but, like, you know, he never became a, Big name, but he's always one of those actors you see him turn up and go, oh, of course, Robert Patrick. He's got yeah. little pixie ears. He does. Little bit, pointy yeah. ears. But also, like, I think Robert Patrick probably just wants uh, to be Robert Patrick. Like, uh, hang on, we got to acknowledge Robert Patrick's best role ever, Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> <laughs> Although Johnny I Cash often wore leather, all of his costumes for this film were made of synthetic leather mm. uh, because Joaquin Phoenix is a strict vegan. 
Yeah, it doesn't surprise. Mm. Uh, the only and a wanker. Film... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've gone off him now too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was the only film of uh, the year 2005 uh, to be nominated for Best Actor and Best Actress uh, at the Academy Awards. Reese Witherspoon did win Best Actress she for did. her portrayal, but Joaquin Phoenix lost out to Philip Seymour Hoffman for his uh, role in Capote. Capote. Yeah. Another biopic. Um, if you want to win an Oscar, you do a biopic. Yeah. Yeah. Although he did eventually get one for Joker, which isn't a biopic. But can we just it's talk about that? His performance in that. We film. can if you want. Oh my god, it's so good, mm. so good. I, well, I haven't seen Joker. I haven't seen Joker, but I have seen Falling Down. Mm. Ah, Falling Down's great too. <laughs> uh, when it's country- no falling down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when country singer George Hamilton the Fourth first viewed this movie, uh, it seemed to him like he was actually watching a young Johnny Cash who he knew from the time and not an actor. Which Beautiful. I think is a great that's review. A, to that's praise. Him. Yeah, it's like that's exactly how I remember him. He was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final bit of trivia is that Johnny Cash really did propose to June Carter Cash on stage in February 1968 at the London Ice House, which is a hockey arena in London, Ontario, in the middle of a performance of Jackson. Um, so that that bit was actually yeah. true to life, um, whether or not what they exactly said uh, in the no I don't want to come on I'll, I'm fine <laughs> like I don't know if that was actually how it played out and that's what I try and that's the bit of it that I try and go there's there's so much context that they can't obviously portray on stage that maybe you know maybe this mm. is maybe that's why they it, they get away with that and it works and it's not like you know, at a foot, at a basketball game at, at halftime, sort of set up <laughs> on the big screen in America. It's it's there's obviously a whole other untold bit of that mm. story behind that about them touring together. And he says, "I've asked her forty five different ways. I've got to find another one." I think he said forty five different locations. Locations. Yeah. So so it's become a game for them, and he's figured out a way to. I would have quite liked a movie just of that, like. Mm. You know, going instead of it being so linear, yeah. if they did that all the way through it, each location, hmm. or you know, not forty-five times that would be boring. But like here and there, it became the running joke, and then we saw peppered through bits of their relationship and how they got to that point. You know, you know should they should have done? They should have actually had it on a hockey rink, and then as soon as the proposal went off, it goes da 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 da. So all the that wedding remains- ring comes out in a hockey puck. <laughs> <laughs> all that remains for us to do is to score this film. And Simon, it was your first time watching Walk the Line, so you get to go first. What does Walk the Line get out of 10? Um, I have been mulling this over. Um, yeah, I, I'm. it's a good film, not a great film. Yeah, I'm going to go seven really badly dubbed slap bases. Hmm. That's fair. Uh, what about yourself, Tegan? Uh, has it has it dropped all the way to zero now that we've no, got it hasn't dropped all the way to zero. It is fun. It is pleasant. Um, I f- I feel like it maybe was trying to be a little bit um, unconventional as a biopic, mm. but it so it kind of sits in the middle between being conventional and unconventional. It kind of sits in a muddy area. Um, having said that, it's fun to watch still, mm. and the performances are incredible. Mm. Um, I'm going to give it. Six and a half Folsom yellow waters out of ten. <laughs> yeah, that was that was real good. That was that was kind of that fun. album is amazing. Like yeah. I have listened to that album, and it's mm-hmm. in, it is pretty full on to I, just hear like the yeah. danger in the background as well. I really feel like that's the scene that like whacking hit peak Johnny. Absolutely, like, I feel like he nailed that more yeah. than any other scene. You can you can see the um. The adrenaline in him like it's not yeah. that's not a performance you could the it's quite beautiful to, to watch mm. um yeah look I, I really enjoyed this I, I quite like Johnny Cash's music um not I'm, I'm not like a, a massive fan I've not got posters of him up or anything like that but <laughs> you do I, just in black I, I do yeah yeah I am sat here in full black leather yeah. uh, as we as we and you won't take your sunnies off indoors yeah. it's no weird. no it's I'm, I'm, it's all my Mexican drugs uh, but <laughs> in your bible yeah <laughs> Um, prescription <laughs> but uh I, I i enjoyed this i i enjoyed getting to see this i think it does suffer from some of the issues that you get with biopics in general about how the subject is is presented particularly with this obviously being so heavily involved with the cash family but i don't feel as though it was 
I, I felt like they did a pretty good balancing job while yeah, still it's having It's no Green fights. Book, that's for sure. I mean, I was thinking of Green Book as we were watching this and going, this is a much better film than it Green Book. It is a much better film than Green Book. <laughs> yeah. Um, much less problematic. Yeah. Although, considering they're singing black music, there's no there's no um, African-American performers yeah, in it. And I know, again, it's probably of that time. But it's again, it's a really interesting whitewash of... They again, I, maybe we, again, if it was made now, I do like how in the record studio at the beginning there was uh, African American performers on the wall. Though. Yeah, that was really cool. We didn't but, see any of them in the show. No, no. So yeah, for me, uh, I, I think it's a pretty good watch. So I'm going to give it um, seven. Uh, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, <laughs> 55, 56, 57, 58, 59 automobiles out of 10. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a really high score. Uh, no, no, just the seven. The rest, is, <laughs> the rest is just the car that was built one piece at a time. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our review of Walk the Line. But just like the movie, the more interesting stuff happens after yeah. the movie finishes. So yeah. right just like now... This, just like this podcast. Yep. After this podcast, everyone has to go watch Johnny Cash on the Muppets because <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yep. And they have to watch the Johnny Cash show just for some good old gospel. Have some fun there. They have to watch Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. And they have to watch Columbo. Columbo. Yeah. Please do. It's... Um, A podcast with homework. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, that's... That's what we provide, so have, have fun with that. Um, but Simon and Tegan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you very much. Because you're mine. <laughs> I'm Frankenstein. Oh, Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, hey, for those of you listening at home, thank you for joining in. We are uh, really pleased to have you listening in uh, for films like this. We've only got a few more left for the year 2020. Um, and I'm sure many of you out there will be going, thank goodness the year is almost <laughs> over. What's next? Um, well, we've got a few things coming up. Obviously, there's uh, Christmas is just around the corner. So uh, there's Thanksgiving a couple, special? A couple of Christmas films. Uh, there is a Thanksgiving special that will be coming up. Um, we, we don't know exactly what film that is yet because the audience gets to decide that one. Uh, if you want to help us decide films um, at any point in the coming months uh you can join up our facebook page and that's where all the polls go just search for the cinema catch-up club there and the polls will pop up along with other news and bits pieces of information and things like that um maybe links to johnny cash on 70s 80s and 90s tv shows um (laughs) but just search for the cinema catch-up club there we are also on patreon Uh, you can become an official member of the club and get some bonus features uh, just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Patreon or go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. Uh, you can join for as little as a dollar a month and uh, it's pretty fun. Well worth it. And of course, uh, if you want to hear this and, ooh, let's go with uh, almost 190 other episodes Whoa. of this podcast. Mm. Whoa, that's a spicy podcast. That's um, a lot of backlog. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go back, hey, some of you are probably in uh, countries that are going back into lockdown for COVID and... <laughs> We're really sorry and we hope that you're able to, to pull through this uh, difficult time. If you want to listen to some people talk about films, uh, we, we offer that service. Uh, just search for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, go back. We've, we've done a couple of other biopics. Just jump in there. Does Spartacus count as a biopic? I was just... <laughs> I was on that. Technically, it's a biopic, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's the first one I could Don't think of. watch Green Book, though. <laughs> but yeah. listen to the podcast so you don't have to watch it. Yeah, basically, yeah, that's probably good advice. Um, but, yeah, that's all available there as well. But that is all for this uh, episode. So, until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Y'all come back now, you hear? You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.